0: Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilley, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're going to be over in Esther this evening. We're going to take a look at three chapters of Esther. Esther's three, four, and five. Uh, we won't read all of that passage, although it wouldn't take that long mm-hmm. if we did. But, um, you know, she's singing that song, talking about how you love the Lord and how he's made all these, he's kept every promise and he's He's good. He, it's right, it's, it's correct. But I think the question I want to have for you as you're as you're reflecting on the words of that song and as you hear what I'm about to say to you, is if he is as good as we think he is, and I think he's better than you can even imagine, if you agree that he keeps his promises, and he absolutely does, whether you agree or not, he does, are you willing then to take every opportunity that is given to you to serve him? Are you willing? As we look at the book of Esther, particularly in these couple of chapters, what I want to emphasize for you is that the opportunities to serve God abound. They're everywhere. We're just going to look through this story, just take a few minutes, and I'm just going to go through the story for just a few minutes and observe where this, those opportunities are. I'll take some time at the end of this just to try to apply it to us, but I want you to see the fact that there's opportunities everywhere. One of the things about the book of Esther, I was thinking about this this afternoon, was, you may have known this, but I don't. if you didn't, it's interesting. God, in his name, is not mentioned in the book of Esther. He's absent in a way. You just don't see his name. But you can't help but read the book of Esther and see God all the way through it. And I think that's the same way it is with us right now, is... Even though you may not, when you walk out these doors and you ride down the road, you may not see God, you may not see many people talking about God, you may not hear much about God, but God is all over everything that's going on, and it's exactly what's going on here. The opportunities to serve God. The question then is, are we going to make the choice to play the role that God has given to you and I? The key verse of this book, and I think the key verse of the study that I'm trying to give to you, out of is in Esther 4, verse, I think, 14, where it ends with saying that the reason that you've been brought here is for such a time as this. I believe God has put us right here at this moment in time, and we've got as many complaints as you got time to list them. We've got as many problems as you got time to talk about it. But God has placed us right here, right now, for a purpose, and he is blooming, blossoming opportunities for his people to serve him. Will you play that role? Let's pray and then we'll look at the passage together. Father, please help me to preach to your people in a way that is kind and loving, that reflects your character, God. You're a good God, a gracious God, You're not hard-handed, heavy-handed, hard-hearted. You're not mean-spirited towards us. You are so gracious and long-suffering towards us. Lord, I pray that that will be reflected in my preaching. I pray also that that will be reflected in the words that I share with these people, that it will reflect to them the convicting power of your Holy Spirit. Of course, I can't convict anyone. It is the Spirit who does that. But Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me to do exactly that. That you'll allow us the grace... Of correcting our ways, encouraging us through your grace to do what we ought to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The opportunities, as I said, to serve and honor God abound in this passage. I'll begin with, uh, if you don't mind looking with me in Esther chapter 3. We're introduced to the villain of the story in verse 1, a man named Haman. I'd like to read that verse. It says, after these things. And do you all remember the things it's saying after? The things we talked about last week where Esther is now installed as the queen. You've got Ahasuerus who is this arrogant, wealthy, but arrogant man who thinks he runs the world but doesn't realize that God is ultimately the sovereign of the universe underneath all that. We're introduced to Mordecai in the last chapter. This man, who's a faithful man of God, takes care of Esther as his daughter, although she is technically his niece, but he cares for her. I'm sorry, his cousin, although he cares for her as a, as a daughter. We're introduced to all those characters, but now we're seeing this man named Haman, and it says, After those things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him. So Haman starts out of the gate, he's getting a promotion. He gets advanced and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So here's a man named Haman, and he gets, he gets noticed by the king. And the king, when he notices you in a good way, he elevates you. And that's exactly what's going on here. Of course, Mordecai, excuse me, um, Haman is the kind of fellow that when he gets a little bit of uh, notoriety, a little bit of help, he thinks everybody and his brother ought to fall down and worship him. That's the kind of fellow he is. Y'all might know some people like that. <laughs> they get a little something going on in their direction. They think all oh, the world ought to just fall at their feet, and he's one of them. Look in verse two. And he says, "And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. They knew that Haman was going to be a jerk about it. They didn't, so they went ahead and reverenced him. And for the king had commanded, so commanded concerning him. Of course, the king had laid the groundwork. But Mordecai bowed not." nor did he reverence him. I don't know all of what's going on here with the not bowing that Mordecai has done, but I do believe that some of this has to do with the fact that Mordecai is is a very observant Jewish man. He is not going to honor a man in a way that he would not, that above what he would honor God. And I believe that's at least part of what's going on here. If not all of it, it's definitely a big part of this. So he is going to do what he thinks is the right thing to do, which is not to bow down and essentially worship uh, Haman. Of course, he doesn't do it. And despite the fact that Haman had government backing, Mordecai said, no, I don't want to do this. It's not what my God says to do. It's not what I'm going to do. And you know what happens when you do that? The fight comes to you. The fight comes to you. You'll see this in verse verse 5. And Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then was Haman full of wrath. Haman got mad over the thing. The first opportunity that comes to Mordecai is he had an opportunity. Is he going to honor God or is he going to honor this man? Mordecai, I believe, did the right thing, and he honored God above man. Now, Haman goes, and he goes, and by the way, this is what, this is what people do all over the place, especially people who have got a little bit of power, a little bit of authority, They get mad about something, so what do they do? They go and pass a law to get their way. This is what he does. He goes actually to the king, and I'm just giving you the, the words that are in these verses, but he goes to the king and says, I'd like you to do something for me, king. And what he is ultimately asking for, if you were to fast forward it to the 1940s into Germany, is not really anything different than what he is asking king of Persia to do. He is asking for a Jewish genocide. He says, all these people that he doesn't name their Jewishness, and, and he's purposely deceptive to King Ahasuerus, but he says to them, he says to the king, he says, listen, there's a group of people that don't honor you like they ought to. And he says, I want you to give me the permission to kill every one of those people. Again, that's called genocide. <laughs> that's... You, It's not supposed to happen. That is immoral. It should not happen. But nonetheless, he goes. He does it. The king goes along with him in verses 10 and 11. You see, the king says, go ahead and do it. In fact, I'll give you some money to do it. In fact, is what he says. The minute that Mordecai finds out about this, I want you to see what he does. Go to the beginning of chapter 4. Now, just before you read anything there, think about it yourself. Whatever ethnicity or group that you would identify with, Let's just say, because we all identify, at least I hope you identify with this one, we're all Christians here, okay? So if you were to get, find out now they've just passed a law that says all Christians can be jailed or killed or persecuted in some official capacity, what are you going to do about it? I know what we would do. I know what we'd do. We'd go and protest down at Raleigh. We'd go march on Washington, wouldn't we? That's what we'd do, because that's the American way. But I want you see what Mordecai does. When Mordecai perceived that all that was done, so all this stuff that I just told you about, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate that for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. His job, by the way, was to be in the king's gate. He's saying he wasn't even allowed to go do his job because he was dressed in a way that would not be permitted. But here's a man. What is he doing? He's not appealing to H- Ahasuerus. He's not going and trying to get petitions signed. He's going to the source of authority. He's saying, God, this is going to kill us. You got to intervene. This is what he does. Of course, Esther learns of it in verse 4. It starts where she learns of it. She just hears about this going on. I can imagine she's not living with her cousin any longer. She's now living in the king's palace. And she's, this is a man probably was dear to her. I imagine she loved him as a, almost in a fatherly way. I'm sure she did. And she hears of her, her, uh, this man, Mordecai, this, her, her, her cousin that is out here praying in this way. And she's probably a little worried about him. So then she sends word, she sends word out to him, sends one of her servants, says, hey, can you go find out what's going on with Mordecai? Of course, Mordecai relays the information about what happened, and he says, hey, I got an idea of something I want you to do. I want you, Esther, because of your position, I want you to go into the king, and I want you to ask him to divert this. I want you to ask him to fix this problem. If you go to verse 11, if you would and wouldn't mind, go to verse 11 of chapter 4. And it says, and rather verse 10, And again Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and, all the, and the, the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter. That he may live, but I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. She says to him, "Listen, there's a it's kind of a rule. This is how this thing works." He says, "If you go into the king's throne, throne room, and he doesn't call you in there, and he doesn't want you in there, he's already told everybody. He's put us on warning. He says, if you all do that, I'm going to kill you.'" Now he says, "Now I, I might like it. If some sometimes I might be okay with it, but I'll. I'll it's my right, King Asuras." He says. It's my right to give the grace if I want to, but y'all just better be prepared. You come in here, I'm going to kill you. So Esther, if you can imagine, I mean, if I knew that was the case with me, I'd be balking a little bit with Mordecai. i listen, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing or not. You understand you're putting me in a tough position. But again, here's another opportunity to serve God, to honor the Lord, to put him up. And here's, this is that key verse, verse 14, Mordecai, here's what she's saying. And Mordecai says to her, listen, This might actually be God's plan in all of this thing. Look at what he says in verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Remember that line in the song? He's been faithful to every promise he's ever made. God's already promised he's going to take care of the Jewish people. That is not a question. The question is, are you, Esther, going to step up and do what is available for you to do in god's purpose in god's plan and he says listen you can be quiet you absolutely have a right to be quiet if you're quiet on this god's gonna find a way he'll he'll get donkeys to come down and save her he'll get rocks to roll out of the mountains to save her he'll do what he's got to do there's no question he says but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed so you're gonna die If you don't do what God says, you're going to die. It's going to happen. God will save his people, but I don't know what's going to happen with you if you don't do what is right. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This may exactly be the reason God has put put you right here in this moment. So Esther does pick a side. She ultimately decides she's going to do what Mordecai is suggesting that she do. And I want you to see what she says in verse, I think it's 16. She tells Mordecai, go and go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish she says, y'all pray. (laughs) I'm about to go into something that's going to be tough. Y'all going to have to pray for me. Y'all going to have to pray for me. But she is saying, I'm going to do this. Now, I'll fast forward and tell you, if you go to verse 2 of chapter 5, you'll see that she does go into King Ahasuerus she does go and talk to him there's the question of is he going to put out his scepter or not he does put out his scepter which essentially says when he does that she's available you come on in i'm going to talk to you he even says go look with me i think it's in verse three of chapter five he says and said the king unto her what wilt thou queen esther ain't this something here she is she's been fasting and praying for three days god please don't let him kill me and what's he saying what you want lady I'll do whatever you want. What does he say? What is thy request? It shall be be even given thee to the half of the kingdom. I'll give you anything you want up to half of what I own. (laughs) That's how God works, by the way. That's the hand of God turning the heart of a king. A king who, by his admission, would be, I do what I want to. Nobody tells me where to go. I'm going to do what I want to, how I want to. And God says, no, you won't, big buddy. I got a little lady that's going to walk into your throne room, and you're going to give her anything she wants. And it's exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. Now, after that, you do understand, we'll talk a little bit about this next week, but it's a fairly elaborate plan that she has. And we'll talk a little more about that. But I just want you to know that she has this plan that's going to trap Haman. And Haman is not done. Haman's not done. He's still fuming. If you were to go to chapter five and start about verse nine and look through through the end of the chapter there, you got Haman. He is just, he's just mad. He's just chomping at the bit to do all kinds of stuff. The fact is that he's not gone yet, but he will be gone soon. But the point of all this is to simply point out to you, you've got these, these people, Mordecai and Esther particularly, who have been given opportunities to serve God. Are they easy? Of course not. They're difficult. They're challenging. They're threatening. But they are opportunities that have been placed in their laps to serve God in a very unique way, in ways that nobody else really has. Nobody else really has. So, as I said, i would try to apply this to us. So what does all this matter for me and you? First thing is, what we need to do, just like Mordecai, we need to stand for what's right and expect to fight to follow. Now that... I think sometimes in this day and age, we, we like to go looking for fights. Some people are like that. Some of y'all more like that than others, I understand. Some of us, not all of us are like that, but some people like to go looking for fights. They like to draw the big crowd to the courthouse steps and show them what they're doing. We've got some folks doing that right now. Who are, They're going out hunting for a place. to? They're itching for a fight. But the thing is, we as Christians don't have to go looking for fights. If we will trust God and obey him, let me just promise you, especially those of you that like to fight, if you'll trust God and you will obey him and you will do so without question, I promise you there will be a fight brought to your front door. The problem is, as the Bible says, and in, in, I believe it's over in Timothy, that those who, 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 who believe in Jesus will, shall, I believe is the word it uses, shall suffer persecution, Why is it that we are not suffering persecution? It's we're too busy going trying to pick our own fights. If instead we will do what God says, the fight will come. The opposition that's going to come against us is going to be inexplicable. I mean, look at Mordecai and Haman, for example. What in the world is wrong with Haman? I mean, you've got everybody in the kingdom acting. They're just kissing all over you, kissing your hand and bowing down. One dude standing up. Why in the world can't you just let it go? Or if you're going to deal with it, why can't you deal with it in a more civil manner? Why you got to go kill an entire race of people? I don't know why that's what he's doing. That's how it's going to be with us, by the way. The opposition is going to be inexplicable. We're going to say, why are they doing that? Why are they acting that way? That is such foolishness, such pettiness. Why are they doing that stupidness? And I can tell you it's because they're not operating by their own right minds. They're operating by a demonic spirit because they see what we're doing is right. And you know what? Sometimes they're even going to have government authority. Now, don't don't hear me wrong on this. I want to preach the whole counsel of God. Romans 13 is in the Bible. We are to be subordinate to the authorities that God has ordained over us. And we are going to respect authority. We're going to respect law enforcement. We're going to respect elected officials. We're going to respect respect the legislature. We're going to respect the, the courts of the land. We're going to respect those things. That's what Christians do. But you know what Christians also do? When the government oversteps its lines and tells us to do things that God has said, no, you ought not to do, or vice versa, says you can't do things that the God, our God has said we must do. we got to obey God rather than man. And, and I think it's easy in this moment that we're in right now, and I, I want to make, make sure I'm very clear. i got to be very clear with what I'm saying because I, I tend to want to dance around the issues. This is my personality, so i gotta get, I got to make myself say the real thing. Let me go ahead and get it. Let's get it out there. We've got a situation right now with a virus and we want to be safe, and I want to be safe and respectful. So we're going to do all those things. But there's a point where we have to say, listen, we're going to do what's right here. And it's not about the governor saying one thing or another, whether we meet or not meet. It's about whether we believe it's the right thing. And when we do, we're going to do it the right way. Do you understand? That's what we've been doing as we met here in this congregation, or rather in this sanctuary. But we're doing this we stopped meeting for health reasons because we believed that was the best thing for our church family believe that would be honoring to god we started meeting because it was the best thing for our church family we thought that would be honoring to god we should never stop or start because governors or congressmen or presidents or anybody else says you are not going to worship do you understand what i'm saying to you we have to draw that line yes we are to be respectful yes we're to be honoring and we will be we will always be because if we're not we're disobeying god's god's law but we have to do this in a way that is ultimately answering to god All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Can I go further? And I don't have a whole lot of time to expound on this, but I need you all to hear me very loud and clear. You don't have to go down and protesting at Raleigh or Washington to make a point. You just need to live the kind of life that God has called you to live, and I guarantee you they're going to come after you. It may not be right now. It may be a few years from now, but it's going to come. They're going to try to shut you down as a Christian. And it might not be government. It might be your neighbors. I just want you to know that I think our priorities are misplaced on this thing. We need to get in touch with which way God's going and go with him, get with him, and then the opposition will follow right behind. Everywhere Jesus went. That's what happened. Everywhere Jesus went, they found a way. Here's a man that was perfect. There's no more perfect than Jesus. And you know what they did to him? They nailed him to a cross. They hung him like a terrible, awful criminal. What do you think they're going to do with his followers who obey him? I promise you that it will not end well. So we need to stop looking for fights. Just do what's right and expect the fight to follow. Second of all, we need to cry out to our Lord for direction. My question is, does evil bother you? I think on some level it bothers us. We don't like it. But I don't think we like to complain about it more than we like to actually take real action against the evil that's in our land. Does it bother us enough to ask God what he wants you and me to do about it? Does it bother us enough to publicly pray and publicly fast? We're holding a week in about, in about two weeks. We're going to hold a uh, sanctity of life week here. I can't, make you, I can't force you to participate in that. I can't make you want to participate in that. Y'all can smile and grin at me all you want to. If you want to, I would have no way of knowing. I really don't. But if you actually think that this is not simply a political issue, that the Republicans think one way, the Democrats think another, and you side one way or the other, if you think it's more than that, you actually think that 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 baby is fearfully and wonderfully made, endowed by the image of his or her creator, that needs to be protected as a as a, a helpless, unborn child, and that you as a church have a voice to say, that woman who, need, who feels like she has no other choice but an abortion, that woman needs to hear that she's valuable. That baby who has no voice at all, except whatever voice his mother or her mother gives to him, we need to tell that baby is valuable. If you really believe that, are you willing to stand up and publicly pray? And say, Lord, shut these clinics down. Lord, turn the hearts of these mothers away from killing their children. Lord, tell these boyfriends that making their girlfriends get an abortion, tell them to go home and act like a man and quit act, quit doing that foolishness. Can, can you publicly pray those kinds of prayers? Because if you do that, it's not about, it's not about checking the right box in the ballot booth. Y'all do that. If you want to, go for it. By the way, it hadn't worked so far. Just so y'all know, it's been legal for a long time. <laughs> been legal for a long time. But I can tell you the one thing that will work is what Mordecai did. He got on his knees and he begged and prayed. It even kept him out of work. Now, ain't that something? He stayed out of work to pray. My goodness, ain't that something? Who, who, who would even think to do that? I just want y'all to hear me say this very plainly Christians don't riot, they pray. Christians don't protest, they pray. And I'm not necessarily talking about the rioting and protesting that's going on in our city and other cities around the country, although that is part of what I'm talking about. I'm saying that Christians who are moved about evil don't sign petitions, don't sign ballots, they don't write angrily worded letters. You know what they do? they get on their knees and they pray because their God is the one who changes things. Now, now that said, you know, remember Esther? She went into the king because God had placed her in that position. Now, that may mean that God may have placed some of you in a position where you do have an opportunity to speak truth to power. You may be able to do that. And if you're able to do that, you ought to take that opportunity. But our first course of business is to get on the knee, our knees and talk to our God. Say, God, this ain't right. God, what do you want me to do? And you know what Christians do? They get on their knees and they beg God to help. And then you know what they also do? They hear God speak to them and say, you know what, I need to do this or that, whatever God's given you the opportunity to do. And they go do that, whatever that is. And, and I want you all to think about this, and I'm, I'm over my time, but they all got to listen to me. Got to listen to this. If, there's, a, there's a smaller group here tonight, I don't even know what we got. Glenn, would you count the number tonight? Thirty-six. We got thirty-six sitting in this room. Thirty-six. It's a nice crowd for a sunny night after a pandemic. <laughs> we got thirty-six sitting in here. If the thirty-six people in here would hear God's voice on abortion, thirty-six people, and no offense to y'all, but the middle of nowhere, North Carolina would actually get a hold of God and do what he told us to do, there would be lives that would be changed. I don't know that we would end it forever, but I can tell you there'd be a handful of women who, was gonna, who were going to kill their babies who might hang on to that baby and might get help from some of you men and some of you women in this room. If these 36 people in this room would stop getting so upset about racism and, and these people that are, oh, I can't believe they're doing that, what about that? Instead, we'd actually stop and pray, and say, God, what do you want me to do about it? And we'd listen to God, and we actually heard him and responded to him, maybe I'm, maybe I'm dreaming. But I think he might actually save some black folks and let black folks and white folks actually worship together in a place. By the way, that doesn't happen in this nation as a whole. It doesn't happen. It ought to happen. You go to heaven, it's going to happen. In Revelation 5, there's all kinds of people sitting around the throne of heaven. I'm just trying to say, if you want something to change, it's not going to be about watching Fox News or CNN. It's not going to be about going out and burning down a building. It's not going to be about, it's not going to be about, about fussing about people burning down buildings. You know what it's going to be about? Get on your knees. God, what do you want me to do about this? And then go do it. Then go do it. The last thing I'm going to say, and I'll be done. Yes, we need to stand for what's right and expect to fight. We need to cry out to our Lord for direction and then do what he says. And then we just need to ultimately choose who we're going to serve. My natural inclination, and yours probably as well, is to try to preserve what I have. Whatever God's given me, I want to preserve it. I like to live. I don't, I'm not looking to die. I, I like to, to, to have the little bit of, Uh, wealth that the Lord has given me. I, I like to keep my reputation intact. I like to be able to provide for my family. I like those things. These are things I like to have. Again, I don't believe I'm alone in that. Whatever I've got, I like to hang on to. We like that. But the thing is, I've got to get to the point where I'm choosing, is that more important to me then following after what God has he's given me those things for a reason, is it more important that I have the things or that I use the things for his glory? Because what's going to happen, there's going to come a time, and I think that time is fast approaching. I think it was Beverly and I were talking about Man, you've got all this this morning. Remember we were talking about all this stuff happening. What is going on? It's happening. All this stuff is happening. And it means something. I don't know what it means. I wish I could tell you what it means, but I don't know what it means. But I can tell you what, one thing it probably means is we're going to have to make a decision. This whole sort of half-hearted Christianity thing that we all like to get along with and protect our goodies and make sure we get all our happiness in, in order, that's going to have to go out the window. and We're going to have to choose this day who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve wealth and goodness are we going to serve the good God of the universe, which might put us on the front line in harm's way, and we were going to have to make that choice. We're going to do that. And when we make the choice for God, by the way, yes, he is a good God. He provides. We've got all those blessings, but I can tell you, you will be in the front line. You will be in the thick of it. The fight is going to come. And by the way, I think that fight's coming sooner than any of us is ready to fight it. And and just in case y'all think, well, I'm ready because I'm strapped. I got all my guns. That's not, it's not that kind of fight. Not that kind of fight. I, I think, I think some of us are ready for that kind of fight. Y'all might just hang it up. That's not the kind of fight that God's involved in. He's involved in a kind of fight that might actually involve you losing your life. He's involved in the kind of fight where you actually are going to look weak and insignificant and like a loser in the history books. But you are ultimately serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're going to be okay with wherever he takes you. And you're going to do that without raising a fist. You're going to do that without hitting anybody. Even though some of us want to smack some people in the mouth. We're going to say, no sir, my God has called me to do what's right. And the fight's coming to me. And I'm ready because he's a good God. I'm closing. I'm done. Bible's closed. I ain't got anything else I need to say. I hope I'm making myself clear. I'm done as best as I can be done with just everyday, mundane, traditional Christianity. I've been done for a decade now. I'm still trying to kick the habit. But I think that these times may bring us there whether we're ready or not. And y'all better be prepared. If you're not prepared, you better get there real quick. You young people, I'm looking at some younger people who are, who are you don't even know what's about to come. Y'all going to have to make some decisions. Is God really God? Or is he just something you do on Sunday? You're going to have to make that choice. God has orchestrated everything. He's put you in this place. Now what are you going to do about it? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ and the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.